Unlocking What Was Cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. And then I said, no, your angel of death awaits. Oh, that's a good one, Neil. That's, I haven't heard that one before, yeah. but we are live. Oh, Mike, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for listening to my story there about how I met the Phantasm in the streets of Toronto mm-hmm. here. Fits right in. You wouldn't even know. He's just hanging out there in uh, Young and Dundas Square. and People just walk right by him. Not all that intimidating compared to what's going on in this city, but... No. Bit of an interesting week there, Mike. Uh, last Saturday, we had a very weird situation where it seems like an episode that we recorded 20 years in the future appeared on our stream just this last week. It's uh, It was cool, though, to get a sneak peek of what's to come in about uh, 20 years. Did you happen to listen to the episode? Yeah, it seems like some bug from Podbean, our podcasting service provider. Um, not sure what happened there, but yeah, Mike and Neil from 2040... Had a little, uh, uh, little good time there. Weird that Victor has become a bot, although I can see it. Makes sense. Well, they do predict that a lot of people will become uh, the uh, the singularity, as it were. Mm. You know, we're going to start to combine ourselves with our phones, with our tablets, with our laptops, all that stuff. We're going to plug right into the metaverse straight through our brains. So I guess Victor, he might actually be the one who volunteers to do all those things first. So he'll be the most advanced out of all human race. He's patient zero. Exactly. Yeah, he's going to have every single every single update. He's going to be like the person in first in line at every Apple store on the first day of an iPhone launch. That'll be him every time they they announce some kind of a, a new uh, upgrade that you can do to your body. Yeah, and it was interesting to see 3.4 version of him seem to not be super stable. I uh, mm-hmm. heard him in the intro there. So I, I'm, I'm excited what the year 2040 brings. But for now, Neil, we are stuck in the 20s. We are stuck, unfortunately, in the 20s, off to an okay start so far, I guess, three years <laughs> in. But so far, so good. This year with movies, Mike, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, you and I. We'll, we'll go no spoilers with this one, but just a few days ago, you and I saw the new Dungeons & Dragons movie in theater, which was a lot of fun. We got a big group of us together. I think there was eight of us, which we haven't done since we figured maybe Rogue One was the last time we had like a nice big group of uh, the cottage boys that we talk about here. And a uh, friend of the show, Dan Kerr, brought his mom to the movie, and it was a really fun time. Of course, you and I were not big D&D fans. We, I've never played it. You played it once, uh, kind of. You were playing 3DS while playing it with Dan, which is the way to take care of a 10-hour D&D session. But I guess top, <laughs> top level, what did you think of the, uh, the new D&D movie? Again, spoiler free. It was great. It was really just a fun action-adventure movie that did everything right, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I had, yeah, like, tempered expectations going in. I, I didn't know much about the D&D world. I, and I really liked that they kind of just kept it to generic fantasy. That was the yep. uh, the kind of the, the, the thread that weaved through the entire movie. And I, I thought the acting was fine. The the the, the comedy was really good. The, the emotional hits uh, hit well, too. So, <laughs> uh, honestly, like, it, it, it was a great two-hour movie that was just a fun experience and especially watching it with a bunch of friends like i probably wouldn't have enjoyed this as much if i just watched it on streaming or something alone no. i think i probably would have gotten bored um seeing it in the theaters and seeing it with friends was was really fun and uh i'm yeah. glad we got to do it neil yeah, I, I feel bad, though, because we were sitting on opposite ends of our line of eight friends, so we're going to try and catch the Mario movie in a couple of weeks, so we'll have to try and sit together for that one. You arrived late, though. That was definitely not my fault. Well, I, I, we, I would say that we next time, let's get some seats in front as well as behind instead of <laughs> one big row. Oh, oh, you want to do a square? I've never done that before. Every time we do uh, we, we do movie reservations, it's always just the line, it's which true. I guess makes... 
I, I mean, it just makes sense. That's just the way you do it. But yeah. we can try and make a make a square. But I, I really enjoyed the movie too. Like like you said, I, I went in with no expectations really. I haven't you know I haven't seen a great video game movie in a long time. We just had The Last of Us, which was a great show. But I I, I mean I never saw the World of Warcraft or any of the Mortal Kombat movies that came out. Um, so I I didn't really have high hopes. Uh, but with this one based on D and D, I you know I saw the trailer when I saw Ant Man or whatever it was a couple months ago and thought it looked like a lot of fun and was instantly hooked on it. And as we got closer and closer to the movie, you know, we started to hear reviews and they were relatively positive. And Mm -hmm. like you said, it was just a really good, a really good generic fantasy movie, which doesn't sound like great praise, but it is. is, (laughs) I know, like you could be a fan of, you know, Lord of the Rings, The Witcher, Harry Potter, like any of those fantasy things that involve knights and magic and castles and vast landscapes and and goofy characters. Like it's very self-aware of what it is, which helps a lot. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain it. I, for some reason, I, I saw my family the other day, and I was I was just explaining to them that we saw the Dungeons and Dragons movie, and they were they couldn't wrap their heads around like were they rolling dice? Like was it based on the board game? And I was like, <laughs> no, it's just a fantasy movie based yeah. on the world and the characters and and the monsters and whatnot. And they for some reason they couldn't quite wrap their heads around it. And after a while, I was like, just just go see it, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, enjoy, yeah. you know, go get some popcorn, try and get that really hard to find dice shaped bucket of popcorn that we couldn't buy, unfortunately. And, you know, just sit back and enjoy it. It's, you know, two hours in and out, great acting. The, all the jokes hit for me for the most part, yeah. the, yeah. the mix of, uh, CG and practical effects, which I love, uh, was, was terrific. And, uh, honestly, I hope that they make a few more of these. I don't need it to become annualized. I don't need this to become a new universe. I think maybe a trilogy would be awesome and then move on to something else, but we'll have to wait and see. I'm sure that they'll do a sequel. I have a feeling this movie's going to do very well. So, yeah. uh, and maybe in 20 years, we'll uh, we'll talk about the Dungeons and Dragons movie as a retro movie. Yeah, and for the episode 587 that uh, mm, <laughs> that'll be coming out. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was a great it was a great movie. And the one reference that I caught from there from the Dungeons and Dragons like universe was when they would talk about Baldur's Gate. Yes. And I was like, hey, Baldur's Gate, Dark Alliance on the GameCube. Released mm-hmm. in November eighteenth, two thousand two. You know that's nice. uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so that was that was cool to to, to kind of like have my brain pick that up. But uh, obviously there was lots of other references and stuff that we didn't get. But still nope. very cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. I also recognized the Baldur's Gate name. I was looking for other D&D references that I might have been able to pick up, but if it wasn't the, a, a dice, I wouldn't have got it. So it was yeah. it was useless. I had to talk to Dan after the movie to find out what some of the references were, and he filled me in on that. But all around, great movie. I'm uh, excited to for, for more D&D things in the future. I'm not sold on playing the game, but uh, that that's neither here nor there. Yeah, that's fine. You you yeah. still have Baldur's Gate, Neil, so it's okay. That's true. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I wanted to talk today, uh, not related to D and D somehow, although you can maybe relate it in in a way. Is mugs just you know coffee mugs, tea mugs, whatever hot drink you want to put in a mug, even if you want to put a cold drink in a mug, that's fine mm. too, I guess. But uh, okay, feels wrong. Um, Neil, what's your <laughs> ideal mug? And what I mean oh. by this is you know size, handle. Uh, uh, shape, you know, there's a lot of different shapes of mugs as well. What's your ideal mug? You're just a standard mug guy, small mug guy. Mm, Mike, I've been waiting a long time for you to ask me this. <laughs> I am definitely a big mug guy. I like I like a mug that looks like the person who bought it has a drinking problem. Um, <laughs> I love to see a mug like I went to the you know Disney earlier this year, and some of the coffee mugs down in Florida, man, it's like a liter of coffee. It's like, jeez, you've got an issue if you need this much. But I drink tea, of course, and mm-hmm. I, I drink a lot of tea, so I like to have a mug that's maybe two cups worth of tea, I'd I'd assume. I don't know, like, you know, mugs, it's kind of hard to tell how big each one is. I don't like 
little teacups. It bothers me when I see, you know, movies and they're drinking tea out of like a thimble. I don't know what the hell the point of that is. Like it's, it's, it's disgusting. So I like to have a mug that, you know, is intimidating, you know, to hold for other, cause I'm a big person. So I like to have one that looks right for me to hold. Um, I, I like it to be cylindrical in shape. Um, I, I do have a few mugs that I drink from on a regular basis that are, I have one that's a stormtrooper helmet and it holds a lot of liquid, which is ideal, but the shape of it is weird because it's a, it's a helmet shape. It's not round on the inside. So, you know, you get those weird like crevices in there that get stained with tea because the liquid gets stuck in there and it just is a bit of a mess. So I like it to be nice and smooth on the inside so that the tea can, I can completely empty the goblet when I'm, uh, when I'm Mm -hmm. done drinking it. Uh, I like it to be, this is a big one, dishwasher safe. For sure. Is is a big one. I have a few that aren't like you have to hand wash them and it's a pain. I I just want to be able to put all of these things because I drink a lot of tea. I need them all to be able to go into the dishwasher. So as soon as the ones that aren't dishwasher safe, I've already talked to my fiance and I was like, look, if you ever need to get me a mug as a gift, (laughs) it has to be dishwasher safe because I hand wash mugs all day, man. So like I said, big mug, you know, two cups or so, cylindrical on the inside, dishwasher safe and microwavable safe is also a big one. Some of them you can't microwave. And, you know, I'm a weird person who will microwave tea if it goes cold. That, that's uh, not a mind. weird thing at all. No, that's like pretty normal, actually. You're you're on the okay side for that. Don't worry. Oh, you don't have any British family members. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. The North Americans are okay with it. Yeah, the that's Brits, right. but, but that's why they drink the tiny little tea glasses. That's why that's they have true. They got to finish it so quickly. Yeah, I do a lot of weird things with tea. Like I'll microwave it. I pour the milk into my cup first and then the tea, which is that's a weird one. We can talk about that in a later episode, I suppose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that's more to do with my tea routine, I suppose. Uh, I guess, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. Um, my, microwaving tea is not not okay in certain parts of the world. But uh, you, you learn that if you have Scottish, Irish, English uh, ancestors. But what about you, Mike? What's your ideal mug? Well, I, I want to ask one more question then. Uh, what oh. about your handle? Uh, ah, how yes. many fingers do you need to have on that inside the handle when you're holding it? At, at least three. Okay, yeah. See, I have a mug four right here. Be, that's a lot. <laughs> four is oh, a four lot. is well. I mean, sometimes the mugs are huge, and it like I have this mug right here. It's big. Yeah. It's it's a bunch of donuts stacked up, and uh, not a great shape on the inside. Going mm. back to that, I can fit four of my fingers in there. It's 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 a it's a good one. It's a it's a weapon. Um, I need at least three though. Like two, if it, it feels like I'm gonna drop it at any moment. Uh, three is the the ideal one. I I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Uh, I'm also a big mug guy. I. I prefer cylindrical because I have had mugs in the past that are like squarish, mm-hmm. um, and those are kind of interesting when you're actually trying to drink from it because the, the liquid just doesn't like squares as much as it likes rounded corners. Right. Uh, so it, it, it's it, it, there's a little bit of splashing, you know, when you're trying to put it in your mouth. Uh, your GameCube shaped mug is not ideal. <laughs> yeah, the GameCube shaped <laughs> mug not ideal, unfortunately. But yeah, I'm I'm all about the three fingers. Four fingers for me is actually too much, so I actually don't love mugs that have really big handles. I like it so my three fingers are snug and I can kind of just, you know, hold it very nicely, Mm -hmm. toss it around a little bit, pinky out, exactly. Yeah, so that's where I stand with mugs. Um, uh, The one part of, one mugs that I don't like actually are like the camping mugs that are are not aluminum, but they're like a hard like metal, you know what I mean? Those those like kind of uh, pudgier metal mugs that have a little lip on them oh okay i know the ones you're talking about now yeah yeah Yeah, these are no good i i don't think i've ever (laughs) drank out of one for one thing i i noticed that the handles you talk about being able to fit fingers through also the girth of the handle is very important to me if it's very very thin and dainty i feel like i'm gonna break it and i know that these camping mugs are made of metal and i'm not going to but if it's a china mug like i feel like i i'm not i'm not prepared for this level of 
you know, d- delicacy of the mug. I need exactly. like a mug that can take it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pretty rough with my 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 tea mugs here. So yeah, no, I, I've never liked the camping mugs. Also, uh, you can't really like use them at home as much when they're loud whenever you put them down because they're so metal uh the other thing too is that you can't well maybe you can microwave them i feel like you probably shouldn't because they're probably got some aluminum and stuff in there and (laughs) might cause a fire so uh yeah not a fan of those and i don't like that lip i'm not sure if that lip is like there's a purpose to it on the top um you you drink more tea than than me neil you 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 might know this why why there's that lip up there I don't know. I feel like I feel like I'd be scared of it though, because it looks almost sharp. Like I feel like it's like from Dark Knight when it's like, you know how I got these scars, and it's just because he drank his tea too hard against this serrated mug. It does straight up say that they are made of aluminum. So please, okay. for the love of God, do not put them in the microwave. Perfect. Okay. Well, I'm glad I never tried to put one in the microwave. But yeah, I have a couple. You get them. You know, I work in design, so I I go to a lot of conferences and stuff, and and it's a classic giveaway is the camping mm-hmm. mug. You see it a lot because um, it's it's quite light too and portable, but I don't I feel like, like they it. Don't st- I feel like they don't stack well in uh, in shelves. No, they don't. They don't stack <laughs> at all. I mean, mugs in theory shouldn't stack anyways, really, unless they're quite small. But oh, uh, everybody's got a shelf in their house that's just packed with too many coffee mugs though. Yeah, it's, oh yeah, yeah. It's Mugs are the easy thing to get everyone. And yeah, yep. I'd be down to not get mugs anymore. I have my like standard mugs that I go to. Um, uh, a friend of the show, Kirsten, has given me, I think, three or four mugs, and I love them all. I use them all. Uh, one is a mug slash soup uh, <laughs> um, nice. bowl. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen those where it has a little spoon in it. Harry Potter. It's pretty nice. But uh, And then my, my main go-to one is a Pokemon one with the uh, the main the uh, first-gen starters and Pikachu. So mm. good, good mug game. And uh, listeners out there, if you also have some preferred mugs, if you want to Tell us that no camping mugs are actually the way to go because of XYZ. Please write into us on uh, any social media platform you so choose because, uh, Neil, I think it's a good time to transition to our favorite segment of the podcast. That's right, Mike. Sounds like a great idea. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into the show, just like Mike said, you can do so on any of the social media platforms of your choice. You can leave us a rating and a review. We appreciate all of those on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Just like, I'll get it started today, actually, on Spotify. We had Zazie and Mateo left us a nice review here on our Kirby episode, our first episode back, Kirby's Return to Dreamland. Remember, you can leave us a review on the specific episode that you want to so we can know exactly what it is you're talking about which is awesome and uh they say this is a very good episode i agree how day-to-day looks today terrible which we talked a lot about there with a friend of the show jake about how the new day-to-day uh, design looks like eric are you saying day-to-day day-to-day ddd whatever yes ddd looks terrible he looks like eric cartman that was a great bit by uh by jake and um yeah, it's uh, it's not great, but I'm glad that episode had some comments because people can, you know, they can really uh, acknowledge that Nintendo should do something to fix them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 ideal that they do. Uh, maybe they will in uh, Kirby's Return Return to Dreamland too, which uh, hopefully we get that we talked about in that uh, in that episode. But uh, who's the next letter there, Mike? I think we have a few more in the in the bag. Yeah, we got a couple for Luigi's Mansion. Uh, that Ooh. great episode that we put out, the revisit of uh, the GameCube classic. And by the way, we are going to be doing mailbags now from now on. The first episode of the month, and of course, this is the first episode of the month. So this is our new kind of segment. Uh, I know before we kind of just did them randomly uh, whenever yes. we felt like we. Had that stuff so this is the new thing start of the month mailbag end of the month 2003 was cool where we talk mm-hmm. about 
to the year 2003. Uh, but um, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, El Eldiglet says... El Diglet. Ah, yeah, Spanish, it's definitely Spanish Diglet is writing into us. <laughs> Spanish Diglet says, This episode was great. Love the revisiting of one of my favorite GameCube games. And Logan's Fallen also says, Great listen as always. They become a weekly ritual for me to look forward to. Praise the Cube. Uh, thank you praise both the cube. to Praise the Cube. Of course, we'll keep going back to GameCube games. We can't not here. But uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon was their next episode. Uh, anyone write in for that, Neil? Yeah, we got JP underscore 651. Loved this episode and every episode. You guys have gotten me through a very difficult time in my life with this podcast. Listening to the backlog has gotten me through long hours of work also. Thanks. Oh, man. I'm sorry about your difficult time in your life, but I'm glad that we could always uh, help you get through it. Also, get through those long hours of work. I love hearing those stories because we've Neil and I have definitely both been in that situation where we're uh, doing a menial job of something and we just put on a podcast or put on an album to get through it. And uh, it's pretty cool that we end up being those people who help people get through it. Yeah, like we've said that a bunch of times now. We're on the other side of the microphone here, which is different. It's, it's weird. You know, we get those stories of people who, you know, work nights or go through hard times, which we have done. Uh, but hopefully uh, you're doing well and uh, things are looking better soon. Please write back to us once you're feeling better again, and just, to, just so we can get a, an update, of course. But we also got one last letter here from the Roller Coaster Tycoon episode. Zazie and Mateo wrote again, Very good episode. I haven't played this game, but I want to. Sounds so good. Are you guys going to do any side missions like you did on the GameCube Was Cool podcast? Um, Obviously, as we said in the Roller Coaster Tycoon episode, you must play that game, and it's very yes. cheap, very accessible on uh, on Steam. It's five bucks instantly. You'll you'll get hooked on it. We we promise you that. Uh, are we going to be doing any side mission episodes? I mean, I, I kind of consider every episode to be a side mission episode. Really, like we, the side mission episodes for the the listeners out there that don't know was basically on the weeks where uh, Mike and I we uh, had something going on. There was a holiday, or we were traveling. We had to do something kind of quick and easy and off the cuff that wasn't just the GameCube library so we would do a completely unrelated topic maybe about games that we traveled with or Christmas memories or Halloween memories or whatever it was so mm-hmm. with with this new podcast though basically every episode we have the ability to uh, to, to talk about whatever we want so the uh, the need to do a side mission is way less plus we now have the opportunity with the Patreon topics every month that uh, kind of are the random topics which we're kind of considering to be the, 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 the side, side mission episodes yeah, yeah. yeah so that's kind of to answer the question there every uh, episode now is a side mission, uh, Zazzy and Mateo. But we're glad that you enjoyed the ones that we did on the GameCube. Was cool. We might bring that back again when we want to make, you know, if we wanted to do a week where we have an extra episode thrown in there. But uh, for now, we're just going to stay uh, stay on track with the numbered episodes for unlocking what was cool. And who knows what the future holds? Well, we know what a good chunk <laughs> of the future holds, thanks to uh, Future Mike and Neil. But after that, we don't know. Now, we also have no idea what's happening in the 580 episodes between now and that episode, so mm. uh, I guess we might as well start unfolding the future, Mike. So why don't we jump into today's episode? What do you say? Yes, of unfolding what was cool, Neil. Haha. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode six of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast, the show about all things retro that we loved from our childhood. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one podcast on the internet, hosted by people named Mike and Neil. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. Supporters at the $5 level get to submit a topic and vote on our monthly Patreon elected episode. All patrons also get the show ad free. Last week, we had our first ever Patreon elected episode where we talked all 
about physical media and the format wars that went with them. You can go back and check that out. Uh, we also received a bonus episode last weekend on April 1st. Uh, still can't believe all those amazing things that are going to happen in the 2030s, so go back and check it out in case you missed those two episodes. This week, we are celebrating 30 years of one of the greatest animated films of the 1990s. Uh, it's still held in high regard amongst uh, cartoon and comic book fans alike. The movie is as old as Mike and I are, and one of the earliest examples of a high-quality cartoon series leading to an equally high-quality feature film. Today's episode is all about Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, which was released on December 25th, 1993. Christmas movie. Yeah, Christmas movie, that's right. Christmas Day, directed by Eric Randomsky and Bruce Timm produced by Warner Bros. Animation, clocks in at 78 minutes long. It's very short. Uh, box office of $5.6 on a $6 million budget, which is unfortunate. Rates a 7.1 on Metacritic, which is absolutely insane, but it does have an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 4.0 on Letterboxd. And of course, this is an animated superhero film. With that, Mike, what are your memories of the Batman animated series and uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm? I, of course, watched the Batman animated series on reruns when I was a kid. It was on one of our channels, <laughs> Teletoon <laughs> YTV, one of the channels we got here in Canada. Uh, and I was really into it because I was initially really into uh, Batman Beyond, which was on when we were kids. And that's, you know, we were probably nine or ten when that was being aired. And I loved, loved that show so much. I, I was obsessed with it as a kid. And it's probably the biggest reason that got me into Batman. And of course, it was kind of a con- continuation of the uh, Batman animated series, and then the one that came after that, Batman Adventures or something, uh, and then the yeah. mid '90s. Uh, I mm-hmm. forget what that one's called, but uh, so it was like the third series of those that kind of style art art style, and also a lot of the same voice actors and people were working on it. So um, I got into the animated series a little later and would watch it uh, for reruns, and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought everything that they did was amazing. The stories were great. The voice acting was one of the things that really stuck with me. Like, Kevin Conroy's voice is so ingrained in my mind. And I remember playing Arkham City for the first time ever, and that was so weird that it just was like, whoa, it's like I'm playing Batman from the animated series. This is really, really cool. And, uh, of course, uh, Mark Hamill's Joker, too, in it. So... Um, the animated series was, was a, a big part of my childhood. Uh, of course, because it came out in the early nineties, we didn't see it when it was actually coming out. Batman Beyond is more kind of my sticking point, uh, for, for early Batman memories. But, um, Mask of the Phantasm, the movie that goes along with, uh, the animated series, of course, that we're talking about today. I knew about it for years, uh, of course. Uh, it was talked about. It was always on lists. And and as the years went on, I don't know about you, Neil, but I found that this movie was being talked about more and more and more uh, and, and seemed to have this critical reception that just kept growing. And I think a lot of that was to do with these uh, kind of the superhero movie age. Uh, that we're in and we were in and uh, and so many people kind of ranking superhero movies and then always putting this one in the top 30 top 20 sometimes even the top 10 uh, and and so I was like okay I need I need to watch this movie like I don't know how I somehow you know missed it and uh, I it was it wasn't on any streaming services or anything for a long time I don't think it still is and you for my Chris for Christmas for my birthday something quite a few years ago, bought me the Blu-ray 
uh, of uh, Mask of the Phantasm to go back to our uh, our uh, Format Wars episode here. But uh, yeah, uh, and of course, I knew that you had it on VHS, so I we watched it all together mm-hmm. at uh, the cottage some when we were all up there a couple of summers ago, and yeah, it lived up to the expectations somehow because my hype for it was pretty high. Definitely, definitely. This movie just keeps on getting more and more popular, it seems like, all the time. Especially, like, I see memes a lot where it's uh, talking about Marvel versus DC in terms of their film output. And it was the, the joke was always, you know, Marvel's uh, live-action films are, like, really good, and then their animated movies are not. DC's animated films are always really good, but their live-action stuff is not. And it's always been, like, that's kind of the joke, where they, they sort of complete each other with that. And when you look at the DC animated films, which they were trying to make a thing, starting with this one. They, they made up, up several Batman animated films and several Superman animated films as well. This one was the only one to date, I believe, still, that got a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Anything after this was all straight to DVD. Killing Joke was in theaters, right? That one came out in 2019, 2018? 2016. Jesus, we're getting old. Okay, 2000, <laughs> 2016. Still. Yeah, definitely. But I'm like you, the same thing. Like As a kid, getting me into Batman, I was really into the animated series because I have a brother five years older than me, so he was born in 88. So this this show was right in his wheelhouse. Like yeah. It was mid-90s. He was you know seven, eight years old. He was watching it. It was in syndication at that point, I think. But he would watch it every day after school, and I would watch it with him, not really understanding what was going on exactly. I just liked watching action, you know, action on screen and everything, and the Joker being amazing. Like, uh, Mark Hamill's Joker is just completely iconic. He's still my favorite Joker to date between the animated series and uh, Arkham Asylum and Arkham City and Arkham uh, Arkham Knight, like you mentioned. But uh, we had the Mask of the Phantasm on VHS as well. I have it right here. I'm holding it in my hands. And, and we watched it a few times as a kid, uh, for sure. And never really noticed, uh, you know, when I was younger, how short it was. I, I really, until this week, I forgot it was less than an hour and a half long. Yeah. Um, it's basically three or four episodes mashed into one, which is too bad. But, uh, yeah, I love going back and watching the old animated series. The art style is is unmatched by anything. We talked a lot about the animation uh, back on our Batman episode of the GameCube is Cool podcast, so it's, it's nice to go back and talk about it today. But other than the TV show back then, watching the animated show with my brother, I was really into the live-action movies pre-Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked the Tim Burton Batman films with Jack Nicholson and Danny DeVito and Val Kilmer and, of course, Michael Keaton. And eventually getting into the Dark Knight movies with you, going to see them in uh, high school and college. Those were great. But as a kid, I even enjoyed watching the, like, uh, as much as I hate to admit it, I even enjoyed the Arnold Schwarzenegger one with uh, uh, George Clooney as Batman. It was so good. Uma Thurman as uh, Poison Ivy and who the hell knows as Bane. Uh, It was a really (laughs) fun movie. Like, it was just really colorful and wacky. And and, uh, even, you know, Jim Carrey as the Riddler. I liked all of those movies, as campy as they were. I understand they have not aged well. And going back to them now is a little bit rough. But that was my touchstone with Batman as a kid it was those five or six movies or so until high school when I started to really get into the uh the Dark Knight movies and then I started to watch or I started to read the uh the graphic novels you and I got really into uh reading you know Batman Year One and The Killing Joke and Nightfall being a, a classic uh comic book series mm-hmm. I read that in a summer that was really amazing I love that comic book or that Same. graphic novel series uh, and that kind of brings me to today where, you know, I, I, I catch the, the odd Batman movie if he appears in a Batman movie. I love the Batman last year. Uh, I like picking up on Batman references in, in movies or in cartoons, you know, seeing uh, SpongeBob wearing a Batman suit in one of those episodes. <laughs> it's cool how he, you know, appears in other 
pop culture, uh, pop culture things being movies or video games or, or, uh, comics or whatever it is. So yeah, an amazing character and really excited to, uh, to talk about the, the film, which I was shocked to hear how small of a revenue it brought in 5.6 million on a $6 million budget. That is, that is awful. As we've talked about before, if a movie doesn't make twice its budget, it's basically a failure. So this is obviously why none of the other DC films came to theaters until way later with the, uh, with the killing joke. It was cool to go back though to 1993 to look at the top grossing films of 1993. None of them were animated films and you, you jump to 2022, 2023, you see a lot more animated films in, in that, uh, in that conversation. Yeah. Uh, to put it into perspective, Lion King, which came out six months later in the summertime, grossed nine hundred and seventy million on a forty-five million dollar budget. So, not quite as successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I think you know the reason it wasn't successful at the theaters was it was it was a classic trying to do too much. You know, this was first made specifically as a TV uh, movie, a made-for-TV movie, and then it was there was a bit of a change uh, halfway through the production. Uh, when they had to speed things up and be like, oh, actually, we want it for a theatrical release. So uh, I, I, I don't think there was enough push either marketing-wise to actually be like, hey, this is like a movie. This is a Batman movie, but it's animated, you know? Well, the trailer wasn't very good. I don't know if you had a chance no. to... Uh, <laughs> it's in the um, the DVD that I watched. I got the DVD from the library this week. I know you have the Blu-ray. In the bonus features, there's not a ton of bonus content, unfortunately. It was really just scene selection, play movie, you know, special features, which was just the trailer. Uh, and it's not a good one. It shows clips from basically the opening maybe fight scene or two and then the end you know just a couple clips here and there you got mark hamill's laugh and everything and you know a deep voice over it talking about batman and gotham and he's you know got the fight of his life kind of thing and it's not a good trailer uh not at all so that didn't help definitely the marketing budget for this one was low which is uh which is too bad because i think to go back to 1993 to see this movie on christmas day would be such a cool experience uh because this movie does so much that Batman movies up until this point hadn't done before. Uh, like I love, you know, starting it up and and it, it introduces a character, a villain that we had never seen before. It's it's a mob story, which we hadn't seen before in a Batman film because the Michael Keaton and Val Kilmer films weren't really mob movies no. at all. And it shows, a, it shows Bruce Wayne's uh, origin story a little bit, not his parents dying. It shows him in his year one, basically, of being Batman, which is really neat to see on on film, even though it was a cartoon. It was fun to see him not being very good at fighting. He didn't have all of his gadgets yet. He didn't have his suit yet. He didn't have the Batmobile. It was awesome to see all that in, in flashbacks. It was really cool. I thought that was a really different approach to, to like not just like push this origin story to just be like, oh, well... You know, here's year one, basically, is like they Mm -hmm. took the comic book series or the comic, the graphic novel, year one, and basically put it to screen. And then a lot of it was also inspired by year two, um, which was also a great graphic novel. And uh, they kind of used that to to show what was going on with the Phantasm, except it it was the Reaper, I think, right, in in year two. And so they basically kind of... They kind of, I mean, it's an, like, Mask of the Phantasm is an original story, but it's just getting elements from things like year two and year one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, it's an interesting kind of thing to think of, of when this was released. You know, this was released in in 1993, and this is, like, the peak of neo-noir. Like, neo-noir is huge right now. There's a lot of things like L.A. Confidential, uh, Sin City later on, uh, Memento, Mulholland Drive, Seven... Fargo, uh, all these kind of movies that were coming out in, you know, between 1990 and 2000. Um, and this movie is very much has all those kind of tropes, you know, the super dark lighting, the femme fatale, who's also kind of 
a villain. Um, and it, uh, it's, it's honestly probably one of the greatest neo-noir movies of all time. Also, the ending is very neo-noir, you know, very ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's one of the best things about this movie is that it's not really a Batman movie. We don't see Batman himself that much in this movie. We actually see more Bruce Wayne than we see Batman, um, which I thought was really interesting. I, of course, watched it again this week to kind of prepare myself and and look at it again from a different light. And I've seen this movie three times now. And I remember the first time I was like, wow, this is really, really, really good. (laughs) And then the second time I watched it, I was like, yeah, this is good, but I, I here's some holes or here's some things that I don't love. And then watching it again this week, I was like, actually, no, I disagree with my second <laughs> viewing. I think everything is really, really well done. Um, so it was it was cool to see it from like, looking at it much more as a critical light. Uh, there's some things that don't age super well, like uh, Andrea's conversations with men are just not great. <laughs> like, right. uh, but I mean, at least she is like a pretty strong character, female character, and and they write for her pretty well. Other than her like weird rea- uh, re- weird actions that she takes with with men sometimes, but um, I mean, other than that, this movie just does so many things right. And I was looking at the accolades two that I got in terms of recent ones as well and where it ranks. So in 2011, Time ranked it in the top 10 best superhero movies of all time. Jump to 2017, Screen Rant writes it, ranks it as the best Batman movie of all time. Empire 2022 ranks it as the best Batman movie of all time. That's when the Batman came out, by the way. Wow. Uh, and uh, 2022 Rolling Stone placed it number 19 out of 50 superhero movies uh, it being the only traditionally animated one on the list. So yeah, like this, this movie seems to be getting more and more popular and more critically acclaimed as years mm-hmm. go on. It's weird because it's, it is a superhero film cause it has Batman, but like, even though like the phantasm is not, they're a villain, but they're kind of like an anti-hero cause oh, they're, yes. they're just killing, they're killing mob bosses. I guess, I guess we should have said up front that we're going to spoil mask of the phantasm. If you haven't seen this movie, uh, by now, pause this po- podcast, go watch it. It's an hour long. Come back and listen to us talk about it because we're going to spoil every scene, the ending and, and whatnot. But yeah. <laughs> uh, jumping back to what I was saying there, uh, the Phantasm is going around killing all the mob bosses in Gotham and basically doing what Batman won't do. Yeah. Uh, he's He or she are going around killing. You only see two or three mob bosses killed at the beginning and Batman's trying to find who this person is, You know where they come from, why are they doing this? And um, B- Batman is, like you said, not in the film much at all and Mm -hmm. like he's trying to stop a villain who's also doing technically the right what their idea of the right thing is kind of like a dexter situation going on where they're just trying to clear up the streets uh better than batman can and and even it's kind of cool because everyone thinks batman's doing it he's being framed because the phantasm looks so much like batman and there are no survivors whenever the phantasm shows up he just kills whoever it is that that he's after, and then mm. you just see a, a hooded figure going away into the smoke, so everyone just assumes that it's the bat, uh, which is really neat. It's not until the very end you find out who it is, of course, which we can talk about a little bit later. And and they do leave the ending to be quite ambiguous. Like you said, the phantasm disappears with Joker, and they make room for a second one, but what bothers me most about this film, Mike, is that the phantasm hasn't appeared, other than comics, that, uh, which I don't know a ton about, the phantasm hasn't appeared in anything since then. And yeah. I would love to see this character come back in another animated story, in a video game, or in a live-action movie would be would be awesome. I 
I will say right now, I don't want to see Mask of the Phantasm turn into a live-action film. I think that this movie is perfect as it is animated. It's a snapshot of the early 90s of this art style of that cartoon. It should stay where it is. I think it'd be really cool to bring the Phantasm into the the new Batman series, whatever it is that they're going to do with Robert Pattinson. I think it would fit perfectly in that world, which is basically a film noir already. It's a very yeah. dark Gotham. It's a, it's a young Batman. So maybe that could be – honestly, that would be a really cool last <laughs> – Batman film with Robert Pattinson if they brought back the Phantasm would be so cool but uh, I guess we can talk about future you know what we want to see <laughs> from the Phantasm at at the uh, at the very end but we do have to give a shout out though in this movie to the voice actors like yes. you said at the beginning there uh, all of the actors basically from the cartoon are back we have Kevin Conroy's Batman Mark Hamill is the Joker shows up about halfway through the film we have Dana Delaney who is Andrea Belmont uh, Stacy Keach as the Phantasm slash Carl Beaumont who is uh Andy's dad which is really cool I love how they they it was a really neat kind of easter egg how you're supposed to think that the phantasm is Andrea's dad based on the voice but it's not it's Mm -hmm. it's her using his her dad's uh, voice as a I guess in a moderator they never really explained the tech of the suit which I would have liked Um, (laughs) that was a really cool little easter egg in there but um, there's other characters in the movie as well, of course. We have uh, Alfred Pennyworth, uh, Arthur Reeves, Sal Valestra, Chucky Sal, Buzz Bronski, all of these mob bosses that get picked off one by one who uh, who are really cool. Um, but were there any standout characters for you, Mike, in the uh, in the movie? Other than maybe we'll, we'll leave out Batman. Were there any standout characters for you? I mean, all the characters were really well written. I, I think the, 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 the casting, too, was fantastic. Like <laughs> Alfred's played by Ephraim Zimbalist. Who, uh, great name, by the way, uh, played uh, Alfred in literally every animated Batman movie, video game, or TV show uh, for like 15 years, uh, starting with the animated series all the way up to the Justice League from 2004. So he was in a lot of stuff and he always played Alfred. So I love, I love when shows do that consistency, you know, throughout their universe. Um, Really, really helps. Also voiced Doc Doc Ock in the Spider-Man 90s uh, series, which was awesome. Yeah. And the Spider-Man video games, uh, one and two. So Nice. Uh, your favorite game, Neil, Spider-Man 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Arthur Reeves, yeah, uh, uh, played by uh, Hart Bachner, who is born and raised in Toronto, I found out, which is kind of cool. Sweet. Um, Sal Valestra, he's the oxi- the guy, the old guy with the oxygen tank, um, mm-hmm. and you see him a couple times in flashbacks. So he's played by Abe Vigoda, who famously, he plays Sal, the, t- the, the tall mobster uh, who's kind of the Don Corleone's right-hand man in The Godfather. And so cool to see him just playing Sal again, another yeah. mobster in this. <laughs> I think that was definitely on purpose. They, they named him Sal uh, mm-hmm. because of that. And then, yeah, I, I think all the mobsters had great kind of voices and were written well. I wish uh, Jim Gordon had more. Like, like he's in it for like yeah. three lines and he doesn't do anything. He's like, I'm not going to have any part of this if you want to take down Batman. That was an interesting thing that they probably could have spent a bit more time on and, and made that running time a little longer. That felt like it was very much like, oh, people have been watching the animated series. They know where uh, Detective Gordon stands on things. So, uh, you know, yeah. it, that was, yeah, that was one con for me. And I wish, because Commissioner Gordon or whatever Gordon he is at that time uh, is always one of my favorite characters. I, I, I love uh, his mm-hmm. story arcs. And it was, yeah, it's a little too bad that they didn't do him justice. 
Yeah, he was definitely missing from the film. I I wish that he had a bit more of a, a spotlight. And like you said, the movie is very short. It would have been cool if they could have incorporated him into an extra scene, make the movie 10 or 15 minutes longer. Uh, I was actually thinking about that too. Like if you're going to make the film longer, what would you have done? And I mean, I, I kind of felt like with the Joker being brought in halfway through, it kind of felt forced bringing the Joker in. Like they sort of felt like we need to have the Joker in this movie. It's a Batman movie. He's the popular in the animated series. So here he is. It, I don't know. I just felt like it's Mask of the Phantasm. Let's give this uh, this this villain their time to shine. I know mm-hmm. that the Joker does tie into the the plot, and they they weave him in fine. It works, I suppose. But what I thought would have been really cool is like maybe add uh, just one more villain in there. Just to, I know it starts to get kind of Spider Man three esque, um, <laughs> but like just try and maybe make it not make the Joker not stand out quite as much. And what would have been kind of neat would have been. If they had the penguin in there, he would have fit because you've got all these mob bosses, kind of kind of vanilla mob bosses, honestly. Like we don't know them as well. So it would have been cool to have a character that we recognize from the cartoon, from the the movies, from the, the comics and everything. And maybe he gets away from the phantasm, and then we could have a Batman throw in Commissioner Gordon there too, interrogating the penguin, like from Dark Knight, and he can maybe try and get some answers as to who the phantasm is. Is there any connection with these mob bosses? Just to have that kind of I guess maybe uh, just to have that scene of a mob boss that we already know and we're familiar with get away from the villain and maybe he's a bit traumatized by it or something and now he's in Arkham or something. Like it'd be really cool to have that scene in there. I think that would have been neat because the movie does run a little bit short. So I feel like, you know, you left out you left out uh, Commissioner Gordon um, and you left out a lot of other Batman villains from the TV show that we didn't get to see, of course. They left out Clayface, damn it. That would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love Clayface. Yeah, I, I I agree with all that. I mean, I can't, I can't. I know this is this this show is always just us agreeing. <laughs> sometimes it's not. Sometimes we have different yeah, yeah. opinions. But yeah, it's um with the Joker. So it's funny because second time me watching this, agree with you for sure. Uh, I thought the Joker was very much kind of forced in. But watching it for the third time, I was like, you know what? No, it actually makes sense, and I like it because of how Joker is written. Because he's not written like the standard Joker, which is one thing I really noticed. He's not written as the kind of wacky like lunatic that he often is where he just like pulling has all these schemes and is doing these like super crazy things that uh are almost a little too much for him he's really just a guy profiting off of other mob bosses and other criminals and that's really all he is and that's that is what the joker really is at the core is is really someone like batman who's who's just on the other side of it you know who's just a little crazier and a little farther gone that he can, uh, but it's, it's still sane and smart enough to be able to profit off of these people. And it's really cool to see him doing that and almost being the middleman here. And how he really doesn't have any interest in killing Batman, bringing Batman down. That really is not part of his plan at all. He really just wants to know what the hell's going on. Just like, just like Batman, really, in that sense. So I always appreciate when movies and uh, media can show the duality that exists between Joker and Batman because it's probably the most unique villain superhero relationship that there is out there. And I really enjoyed how they did it in here because they didn't make Joker just like the second villain to come in because he's really not the villain in this at all. He really has a small part in it and and, and that's it. Uh, it's and It just lends a little bit more to the mythos of this movie of like you were saying before, Neil, is there even a villain? They're all doing what they think is right. They're yes. basically trying to shut down mob bosses or they're just trying to screw with the mob bosses. Yeah. And 
then it, it leads to a fight at the end, a three-way fight at the end, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, the mob bosses are the villains in in the uh, <laughs> in the movie, I suppose. But uh, one thing about the film that I really like, and this ties into the Joker as well, I suppose, is the the set pieces in the in the in the show. Yeah, the set pieces in the movie, which are all based on the the show. Obviously, it's Gotham. It's the same cities and buildings that we've already seen uh, in a bunch of episodes leading up to this. But I, I really loved the. Um, the future world, the uh, amusement park that flashback uh, to the Gotham where it's kind of like a uh, a goal to what the city is going to be built. It's going to be yeah. this utopia where everything is clean and everything is futuristic and everybody is happy and healthy and everything is good. There's no crime. And of course, we already know Gotham 10, 15 years later is nothing like that. It's uh, it's hell basically compared mm-hmm. to what the, the goal of the city was supposed to be and that's where they end up fighting. I just love the comparison of what the city was planned to be and then what it ended up being. Very heavy-handed obviously, but I still love that as a as a set piece and where they fought. and It's so great. It's amazing and that's where the Joker was hanging out and like he had like a little house basically out of the uh the attraction. <laughs> it was really cool. I, I love that whole scene. Like the the flashback to Bruce and and Andrea on the date to the the final fight at the end. I thought that was really cool. Uh really I'd love to see that in live action. Um he like sees the, the Batmobile too in the yeah. the world of tomorrow. Uh mm-hmm. and and there's a couple of Metropolis references uh and there too, we meet. Uh, that's when we meet Andrea's father and everything. That that whole scene, that flashback, is probably one of the best scenes in the whole movie for sure. Yeah, any chance that they can do more Art Deco is always what yes. uh, why Batman the Animated Series is going for. And, and I really like that scene too because we see Bruce Wayne lose. Yeah, which we don't see too often. Uh, Bruce loses in the fight, uh, and they the thieves get the thieves get away and like take all the money. And uh, that's a really interesting scene where it kind of just shows you the true price of vigilantism because he loses and he realizes that he's like well i can only i can't have it both ways i i kind of have to either be like a, a hero stopping crime or i have to be all in with uh, andrea so and then she ends up being the one to turn him down which is even more interesting because when is it that it's not batman you know making that decision yeah. always in in batman media it's 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 bruce being like well you know, I really got to just be Batman. It's uh, instead, it's actually her saying, no, I, I can't be with you. That's right. That's a really important scene when he loses that fight because he's having the conversation with Alfred and then with his uh, his parents tomb about how, you know, he wants to he's happy uh, living a normal life, which we see superheroes struggle with that in a bunch of movies. It's kind of a tired trope at this point. Yeah. Trying to struggle with both uh uh, both identities, which I mean, it's it's a tale as old as time at this point with comics. But he says something in that scene that's really interesting is that maybe he can just give up being Batman and give money to the city to, you know, hire more cops and improve the legal system, which it's like, yes, <laughs> that's exactly what you should be doing. I love that scene because it's like out loud. I was like, good idea, Batman. Um, but of course, you know, that's I think that's a meme, too, about how Batman should just give money to Gotham to, you know, improve the, the legal system and the rehabilitation and hire more cops and all that stuff. But no, no, he's just going to keep being Batman and, and uh, yeah. buy expensive gadgets, which that was a really cool scene. And he like you said, he, he proposes to Andrea and she turns him down and then they run into each other years later. I found it kind of rushed when he uh, he sees her in the graveyard and, you know, she sees Batman and then runs after him and then sees the Wayne tomb and then just assumes right away that it's Bruce. Like you just kind of maybe he just saw you and was approaching you. You don't know <laughs> that he was looking at that uh, that tombstone, but that might have just been a limitation for the time with the cartoons. They couldn't show emotion quite the same, which is a is a, unfortunately a weakness of the time. But that, that was kind of a rushed scene for me. 
I, I agree. It's uh, that that one was one I thought of too when I was watching it again. But the one thing I do like about that scene and some others, and also just kind of realizing people's secret identities, is that it's not some big reveal. Uh, I like that because it's like, well, yeah, it actually probably wouldn't be too hard to figure out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Like, it's not crazy. And just like how Joker figures out that Andrea is the Phantasm. Uh, he's just like, yeah, it's definitely you. Like, this makes sense. And he, like, explains why. I'm like, yeah, this is, that's a great scene. I really like that. Like, don't make it some big reveal where it's like, I actually, I knew along because of all this stuff, right? <laughs> it was, uh, he's so nonchalant about it. And I love that. Yeah, they're almost, like, it's just part of their day. It's like part of their life. It's like, okay, yeah, I guess this makes sense. They understand each other so well that knowing that you've given up your entire life to basically become a vigilante does not surprise them. And that's why they're so compatible is because it just makes sense. And that's why they get along. And that's one of the things that I think makes this movie so great is that it, it is mature. Like it doesn't yeah. handhold the viewer. It doesn't have to hit you over the head with everything that's happening. We don't have uh, monologues from the villains for the most part. Uh, the characters obviously emote through their voice a lot since this is a, this is a cartoon, but it's not cheesy you know, big, bad mustache twisting villain or anything like that. It, it definitely respects the, uh, the viewer, which is pretty good for a movie, uh, targeted at kids. I'm just looking at the back <laughs> of the case now. I don't even know what it's rated. Uh, it's up. PG. It's PG. Yeah. Like it's a PG movie and they, they could add a lot more of that stuff to this, to the movie. And like the, the deaths, even like when the mob bosses and, uh, any, anybody that's killed in this movie, like they're all pretty brutal deaths. That scared uh, me. The, the, <laughs> the Sal one, I remember watching it and was genuinely kind of freaked out when it was uh, Joker's voice on top of Sal. Uh, yep. and it just like his dead corpse, basically that was a kind of a messed up scene. Yeah, there was. I mean, starting off right away with the uh, the first mob boss who died, he was he drove his car off a building into another building, <laughs> yeah. and then the second mob boss gets gets crushed by a, a giant stone angel, which is horrifying. You've got the, uh, the the Sal who gets yeah, I'm assuming he gets drugged by the Joker, and then he gets his face stretched out and blown up. His corpse gets blown up too, which yeah. is awesome. <laughs> um, and then you've got the uh, Arthur Reeves. I'm assuming he dies. Does he die? I'm trying to remember. He doesn't show up later. They don't show him actually dying, though. Uh, I think it's just another one that you assume that he dies. The laughing gas. He, he gets uh, attacked with the laughing gas, which I yeah. think in most Batman comics and cartoons kills the person. Well, the the doctor mentions that uh, like please just stay like like restrain yourself. We need to let the toxin run it like run itself through. So uh, yeah, I think it, I think they just made it ambiguous. Like a lot of these things, that scene also really cool. That's probably what inspired or I would assume what inspired Christopher Nolan in The Dark Knight when Harvey is trying to interrogate one of the kind of schizophrenic patients that the Joker employs uh, at the at the memorial for one of the I guess for the commissioner. Uh, when they do that yep. big memorial and mm -hmm. then and Harvey uh, locks him in the um, the police van and starts interrogating him and he just starts laughing a very yeah. similar way to uh, to Arthur here and I was like oh that's where they got it <laughs> yeah there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that you can see a lot of influences in later Batman films uh, mm -hmm. this movie did start a lot of those things it definitely started it it didn't start the Batman being a dark uh, series because I think that started really in the 70s and 80s when he started to be a lot more of a detective, a film noir kind of thing. It's still really cool. I'm glad to see these influences pop up again because they're all great and they should mm -hmm. they should copy it. They should make – I think Batman is a great dark uh, series. I don't think it needs to be campy and weird like it was in the 50s. 
the Adam West cartoon has its place, but I, I never want to go back to that. <laughs> One thing I do want to talk about, uh, give a highlight to as well, is we've talked a lot about the animation. This movie is is beautiful. I think all of it is. I love oh, yeah. the hand-drawn art style. The, they drew all of this on black cardstock, which is cool. Most cartoonists draw on white, as most people know. They, they start with black in, in, these, uh, in this movie and the cartoon, which is why shadows pop so yep. much more. But I also want to give a shout-out to the music in this movie, yes. which is fantastic fully orchestrated symphony fantastic (laughs) this movie oh my gosh the music is unreal i love the opening cutscene. i i mean i i've heard negative reviews about how the not the 3d art style animation doesn't hold up super well while they're showing the credits of the film i can take it or leave it i just like i'll close my eyes and listen to that music at first i thought it might have been john williams or something it has that level of uh, prestige it's really good it's actually uh shirley walker Uh, She did the music, which is awesome. I think she also does the music for the show too, or at least a lot of it, but it's different. It's, it sounds a lot like the show, but if you go back and watch the show and then watch this, you can tell it's like 90% better. (laughs) And it's one of those things like the score and uh, some animated movies get uh, crap for this where they, it sounds like an animated movie. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 it couldn't really be used for something else, but for this score, it really could be used for any of those film noirs that were coming out in the nineties. Like it would, it would go perfectly with LA confidential and like yeah. you wouldn't even miss a beat. So uh, that just shows how great the score is for this and, and how it's not generic at all. It's not, uh, but it's also not like too specific for Batman. It's just like a really moody brooding score that, that is always kind of there underneath everything and never, you know, takes away from the action, takes away from the beautiful scenes on screen. Uh, it's a really beautiful balance for sure. One of the best film scores for for any movie in the 90s. I mean, you mentioned it fitting in with other film noirs. I think this could even fit in with the newest Batman, like putting it yes. in, in the uh, Robert Pattinson film. I think it would fit there too. Um, it's really good. It also says on the back of my case here uh, that there is an A-track and a CD version of the soundtrack you can buy. So going back to our Format Wars <laughs> episode from last week, they were advertising CDs and cassette tapes on the back of VHS tapes. They just wanted us to consume so much plastic back in the day. It's, it's unreal, <laughs> but worth picking up if anybody has the cassette or CD of Batman mask of the phantasm that'd be a cool thing to own that would be really cool yeah but uh other scenes that i really like in this movie are the uh the chase scene the uh, every batman has to have a big chase scene of course and this mm-hmm. one does where uh the cops have decided to take down uh the batman once and for all and um it, it's a really well choreographed scene like there's a lot going on of course it's animation so you can kind of do everything you want all the explosions all the all the fun things but they do it in a in a really interesting way and and this actually reminded me a lot of the movie heat uh which is from 94 also you kind of consider that a neo-noir movie and that movie has a like a 10 minute long shootout with the cops uh that's like kind of the big climax of the film it's really long and but it's it's really poignant and i i kind of got the same feeling of this where there's a lot of a lot of action but some downtime too within that action sequence that kind of is making you suspenseful and for for the viewer you really don't know if batman's going to get away or not cuz it doesn't seem like he's doing a good job like he's right. getting shot at he's he's hurt uh the police are taking his the, the batwing away too like there's that mm-hmm. scene uh of course he fools them by putting a his cape and um his cowl over 
on like a, a, a room or something or a chair. And it's so like that, a grapple hook kind of Yeah, thing, on the I grapple thought, hook yeah. and everyone's shooting at it. And yeah. it turns out it's not actually him. And then he he slowly limps away and Andrea uh, is just in time, of course, and she picks him up. And again, one of the few times we see Bruce Wayne in the Batman costume without his uh, mask on or anything too. Uh, or the cape like that was a that's an interesting view of him where he's bleeding and, and hurt uh, I like that a lot that's a really cool look I like it too when he's lost everything and that that is like two levels of suspense too where he takes off the cowl and the cape and they're shooting it and you think okay they're shooting the Batman I suppose and then you find out they're not but now you realize okay now he's got no disguise on anymore yeah. so if they find him they're gonna know it's Bruce I mean you know that they're not gonna find out it's Bruce but still yeah. there is that like double level of suspense which is really cool that is a really good scene I like that one too a scene that stood out for me was the scene where Andrea and uh, Arthur Reeves are in the the restaurant and it's raining outside and you can see Batman yes. in on a uh, ledge looking across the uh, the street at them in the in the restaurant just with his binoculars in the rain the close up on his face you can see the water going down his cowl it's a really neat shot i wrote that down on mine too yeah yeah it's a really good scene to watch i mean it makes no sense you'd think that the characters could see him because he's in he's in like a spotlight so it's like there's and his cape is like flying like crazy because it's a rainstorm so you would think someone would be able to see him but it's fine you have to just suspend disbelief for a little bit but it's still artistically an amazing scene like you can see that being a painting or something it's beautiful. I love the rain falling on it too. It's so well animated. I, I, when I was watching it this week, I like marked that one down. I'm like, need to talk about this scene. This is really good. And then it goes, I think that's, is that when the flashback for the World's Fair starts? Uh, I think so. That's when the flashback goes to him thinking about their date together. Yeah. And yeah. he's watching her now with this new guy that he knew. He met Arthur Reeve when he met her dad, when he yes. met Andrea's dad, when they were dating. So that's kind of cool. One thing funny for me, though, about that scene, it's it's like you realize he can't hear them. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. right? Yeah. <laughs> but then he says, I can read lips. That's true. I guess he was reading their lips, which is funny. I was just thinking like, OK, you can see them, but you don't know what they're saying. <laughs> Uh, that's that's a great scene um the joker scenes like when you first see him in world of tomorrow like you already mentioned are probably my favorite ones too and then the ending neil the ending is is one of the most interesting superhero endings ever uh comic book superhero any of that genre um what happened we don't know it's it's completely ambiguous and this is where it becomes not a batman or superhero any, uh, movie anymore this is when it becomes a true neo-noir movie because that's the classic way that you end uh, a neo-noir is you make it super ambiguous of what actually happened and then you want to leave the viewer with a lot with more questions than they came into uh the movie with so that's definitely what you get from watching this movie at the end uh does andrea get away with it you know uh is what happened to uh, the Joker as well, uh, and of course the question of like who's really wrong here, who's at fault, uh, and she does have her little scene there where she's on the boat and uh, the the man asks like, hey, like uh, everything all right? Or like, are you alone? And she's like, yes, I am alone. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool. I love the writing. Like the sometimes the script hits, sometimes it's a little bit awkward. That's one of the times where it hits really well. It's it's hard because this is a cartoon movie based on a cartoon series that wasn't over yet at the time. So they couldn't kill characters, obviously. They couldn't kill the Joker. They couldn't obviously kill Bruce or make anything, any drastic changes that could have ruined the syndication of the cartoon. They had to keep that going. But they, they don't really ever... I, I, I would have preferred maybe if she didn't get away with the Joker because now they never really explain how he gets away from her when he... Because he comes back into the show, obviously. So yes. <laughs> there is that kind of like 
what like it makes you feel like we definitely need more phantasm now because uh we don't know what happened when when they disappeared together so there is that in between where we don't know i'm sure maybe someday they'll go back to it disney plus will buy it and they'll make some weird (laughs) spinoff show eight episodes long which will be good but yeah uh it's a really good ending It, it does make you feel like you know no one won were is batman on the right side was the phantasm right it's a great ending it's a it's a well written story from from start to finish honestly and what's really cool is that they call the movie mask of the phantasm but nowhere in the movie does anyone ever refer to the uh the monster as a phantasm they never call it anything no yeah it's just i've never seen a movie like this that that ended this way especially a you know really made for kids kind of cartoon movie that ends on such a ambiguous note and where most of these superhero movies are very much black and white you know like this is the good this is the evil uh the the ethics uh of it uh, are really debated here and make you debate it off screen like it's 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 so different and i love that because for batman batman is the true gray area superhero like he is not someone who is fighting for justice all the time. He makes his own decisions and he makes a lot of wrong ones. And it's really interesting to see this played out in a movie and and really makes you question everything about Batman. And I think that's something that the comic books always do extremely well. You know, Nightfall does it in a really, really good way where it's like, well, like, who's right here? And movies really have never been able to capture that. And I think this is probably the only one, and even The Dark Knight and even The Batman, which are two obviously amazing movies, I don't think they capture it the same way um, that this movie does. Yeah, they, they end more black and white. You still kind of are rooting for Batman at the end of it. It would be cool to end a Batman movie where you're not rooting for him. I know that he's on yeah. <laughs> the run at the end of uh, The Dark Knight, but you still know, like he's because you see everything that he's done. So yeah. it would be neat to end it where it ends on on Batman being a villain, that would be a really neat, that'd be a really neat concept. Maybe they'll do that. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. (laughs) Um, But uh, it's obviously Mike, you and I both have loved this film for a long time. We, we obviously still highly recommend it, but part of our new, uh, our new format here is that we have to go and review a review. And I happen to find one here uh, from the New York times. And this is a part of a a full article, but New York times did not like this film. They gave it a 50 uh, out of a hundred. It's time to review that review and the new york times says with its pointed cavernous backgrounds and a gotham city setting that evokes a 1940s style futurism mask of the phantasm looks splendid but its story is too complicated and the editing too jerky for the movie to achieve narrative coherence and the resemblance between the movie's hero and its enigmatic arch villain is so close that the audiences are likely to be confused First of all, no. Uh, <laughs> well, no one that's was kind of the point that you're supposed to be like, well, the, the people in it are supposed yeah. to be confused. <laughs> the editing is actually not a bad criticism. That is something early animation or not early, but 90s animation like that. Mm-hmm. Definitely action sequences would be quite jerky because of what they were trying to show on screen at one point, especially while they're actually traditionally animating it. Um, the the sense that it's too complicated, like, I don't know what they're saying there. Like, this story is not complicated. It's it's pretty, If you maybe he's using complicated in the, in the sense of like it's ambiguous and, and gray, but I, I wouldn't agree with saying complicated. 
No, I don't. I don't agree with that either. I I would agree with most of what they say in terms of the, uh, the you know how beautiful the setting is, the 1940s mm-hmm. futurism, which I love that art style as well. We've talked about the Art Deco or the Dark Deco as they called it back in the day, uh. referring to the uh, uh, the Batman animated series. But I I can agree too that the animation at, at certain scenes does look jerky, like any scene where there's extras in the background or NPCs, if you will, in the background of scenes when they're in restaurants or at parties. Sometimes they're straight up not moving. Like that takes you yeah. out of it a little bit. Some of the side characters aren't animated super well. Some of them don't have eyes. Like they just have pupils. And it's like, oh, okay, we couldn't have given this one extra person some eyes. It's uh, That art style kind of bugged me at times. But the story is is perfectly fine. I, I don't find it hard. I never, I didn't find it hard to follow as a kid at all. No. It's, it's quite simple, actually. Maybe if you're taking little kids to see this movie, which you probably shouldn't. <laughs> People need to stop taking little kids to see Batman films. That's just a completely different topic, but stop. I don't Please know stop. why. Please stop taking your five-year-old to a Batman film. It oh, Every time a Batman movie comes out, there's some Karen article about how it's not good for kids. Anyway, the arch villain in this, the Phantasm, is terrific. Sure, looks a little bit like Batman, but like you said, that is the point. It's supposed to look like Batman. There's supposed to be some confusion about who is who's right, who's wrong. They're both these phantom-looking characters in the night that are supposedly killing people. Like, yeah, yep. it, I'd be freaked out too if there's a guy in the middle of the night dressed in a cape. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Doesn't matter if they got a hook on their hand or they're getting into a car that looks like a black car from hell. Like, it's gonna freak yep. me out regardless. So, no, I, a five. This movie is not a five. Like, it's. A seven, like we talked about at the beginning on Metacritic, we can talk about that. But a five is just straight up no. Well, I give this review a five, Neil. There five we go. Ten. <laughs> yeah, I love going back to review old reviews, though, of, uh, of these things. It does. Yeah. It's, it's cool to, I know, just a snapshot in time of what people thought of the film. But uh, it's good to hear other people's criticisms, though, of course. And we've talked a little bit about ours. Are there any other improvements, Mike, that you can think of towards Mask of the Phantasm that you would like to make? Uh, or have we kind of covered them all? Yeah, I think we've covered them all. Um, I also looked up the differences between the TV and the theatrical editions uh, because I noticed on my Blu-ray copy that it it had the option for me to play the TV or theatrical. I played the theatrical, of course, and the differences really are that the theatrical, of course, is a 16 by 9 instead of a 4 by 3, so you don't get the black bars. Uh, It's a bit bloodier. The TV one takes away most of the blood. Um, theatrical has it in there. And I did notice that, though, too, that there was actually quite a bit of blood, especially in the Joker-Batman fight when they're fighting over the miniature Gotham City. There's a bit more to the makeout scenes as well in theatrical. And there's just, like, these little things, like um, like showing Andrea in Bruce's button-down shirt the morning after. So, oh. it, it, yeah, just, just a bunch of little things that, that got taken out. Some minor dialogue adjustments, but that's basically it. So, obviously, the theatrical edition is the better one to watch it's more raunchy that theatrical version (laughs) that's right get to see batman's ass in the theatrical version (laughs) uncut uncut speaking of ass mike i think it's time that we hit the back of the case of uh batman mask of the phantasm what do you think let's do it neil all right but first victor hit us with that sweet jingle it's time to read what's on the back of the case there's things written on the back of the case let's read them And now we're reading The Back of the Case. When Gotham City's most feared gangsters are systematically eliminated, the worst is fear that the Cape Crusader is to blame. But prowling the Gotham Knight is a shadowy new villain, the Phantasm, a sinister figure with a troublesome link to Batman's past. Can the Dark Knight elude the police, capture the Phantasm, and clear his name? 
Unmasking the Phantasm is just one of the twists in Batman Masking the Phantasm. One of the most imaginative films of the past year, says Chuck Rich of Westwood One. Only here will you discover all new revelations about Batman's past, his arch-rival the Joker, and the most grueling battle of Batman's life. The choice between his love of a beautiful woman and his vow to be the defender of right. Oh, that's interesting. So this, the, the Blu-ray back of the case is a little different. Uh, oh. The first paragraph is basically the same, but the second paragraph starts with, Unmasking the Phantasm is just one of the twists in this dazzling animated feature. Discover revelations about his past and the same kind of stuff there. And then it says, Batman Mask of the Phantasm is a mystery that is genuinely absorbing, suspenseful, and moving. Cincinnati Inquirer. Hmm. Interesting. That's cool how they're like a little bit different. I like how they added dazzling to the Blu-ray version because it's it's obviously nicer looking. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> the I back of the case, the back of the case though is is really good. I mean, it's it's neat to read a movie back of the case compared to a game. They're quite different. Um, but I will say, I think that Batman: Mask of the Phantasm might be my favorite box art of a bat box art might be the my favorite i guess it is technically it box, is box art, art. Might, yeah, yeah yeah it might be my favorite box art of a batman film i love it um yep. i'm trying to think what would come close uh maybe the i'm not a huge fan of the dark knight ones to be honest the, with you the, there's like five dark knight ones this kind of the that's issue. true <laughs> but yeah i think this one is beautiful 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 if anyone's ever not seen it before it's a amazing kind of blue cover with the blue clouds and everything you have batman with his cape going full his full wingspan, and that uh, has the phantasm, the mask, literally the mask of the phantasm above him uh, with the silhouette of a uh, a bat uh, in there as well. So it's really cool. And then it also has that very Art Deco font of Batman underneath and mask of the phantasm underneath that. So just a beautiful cover that really tells you everything you need to, to know about this movie in a really, really nice little package. And, and even the back cover with Batman uh, in that, that super kind of that uh, animated series style uh, art style is really cool where you just see his eyes. It's very dark and you have a couple shots of the movie as well in there. So yeah, great case. Great case. The whole thing is timeless. The packaging of the movie, the movie itself, it, it doesn't, I mean, it, it's technically a 1940s kind of thing, but you can mm-hmm. watch it today and understand exactly what's going on. They don't make pop culture references. They don't really reference tech of the time at all, except for nope. maybe what Batman is working with, which is pretty rudimentary, but you can still understand he's working with a computer, he's driving a car, he's using zip lines. You get it. So the the movie, despite it being 30 years old, based on something 50 years before that, uh, it's still worth the watch in 2023. But as we transition over to our closing thoughts, Mike, we've uh, you and I have seen a couple of uh, superhero movies in our time. Uh, we've seen a couple of animated superhero films of our time. So I guess where do you see the future of animated superhero films going? Do you, Would you like to see another Batman Mask of the Phantasm style theater release? I would because I really like Batman animated. I think there's been a lot of really great entries into the Batman animated universe for sure. I didn't really like the killing joke. Um, I don't think a lot of people did uh, because of the elongated. See, that's an example of what happens when you actually make a movie too long uh, and you add too much stuff to it. So sometimes it is nice to just get this little package of of Mask of the Phantasm. But yeah, I I hope this continues. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, some of them, like the the Dark Knight Returns, part one into part two are really, really good. There's also Under the Red Hood, which is an amazing, amazing movie. Really good. Great twist too uh in yeah. it as well so uh, that's a favorite of mine i think batman animated is great and uh the the saddest part about it all is kevin conroy passing away this year uh yeah. that's that's 
so sad because he is he is Batman for me. He is the greatest Batman that there's ever been. And uh, his voice is so iconic. Such a huge part of my childhood. Uh, and it was not the same without him, honestly. And uh, him and Mark Hamill make a great team. But uh, yeah, I think they'll, they'll keep coming out. I think we'll still get good versions of, of Batman animated. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Phantasm. I think the Phantasm will be in something in the future. As this movie seems to get be getting more and more popular and it becomes more and more timeless, you know, 1993, 10 years ago didn't seem like so far away. And now it's like, oh, yeah, the 90s is like so far away, which is scary to <laughs> yep. think about. But yeah, uh, it's it's becoming much more of a classic uh, as time goes on. And I think with that, DC will probably use that uh, and, and take the phantasm and make it uh, and something else. And, and also just it's, it's such a good character. It's compelling and. I think we'll get that at some point and we'll get some sort of Mask of the Phantasm, whether it's like a remake or a live action. I don't want a live action, but I don't think that'll happen, but we'll get something with it for sure. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the Phantasm, I'd like to see the character in a video game. I think that the Arkham series needs a reboot or something. I think, you know, I know that we've had, uh, what's the newest one? There's Arkham, Gotham, Gotham, Gotham Knights. Knights. That's yeah. the one. And Suicide Squad. The DC video games are kind of in a weird space right now. I'd like to see them go back to another Arkham Asylum, just kind of restart, make it small again. Like have a, have a, like a Phantasm game would be a really cool way to start it up again. I think the character would be really cool for a video game. Um, it would lend itself better to video games, honestly, because the character itself is is pretty ethereal in a way. Like it, it you can fire stuff through it. It's it's kind of hard to make that realistic. Like spears yeah. go through it, and like it doesn't get affected at all by bullets and guns and everything. So hard to make that into a movie. But I think in a video game, it would just work so much better. Um, but future of animated superhero movies in general. I would love to see more Batman animated movies come out. Uh, it's nice to see the Spider-Man animated films are doing really well with Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Um, those are great. Uh, I was like you. I, I watched The Killing Joke. I thought it was fine. Like, I've seen a couple of these animated films, and they're all, for the most part, okay. Uh, in terms of a Batman film to come back animated, I'd love to see them do Nightfall. I think I think Yes, that, long overdue. Yeah, I think that would be best as animated. We thought when uh, Dark Knight Rises came out, I remember you and I being so excited because we thought that's what it was going to be. And uh, we were wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> so that was a bit of a letdown. So at this point, I feel like that the time for that being a live action movie has kind of come and gone. I'd much prefer it to just be a gritty cartoon yeah. sort of based like uh, almost honestly anime would be cool. Like an anime kind of yeah. arcane or like the Castlevania on Netflix. I think that would be really cool. Make it a it has to be long because that's a huge graphic novel. So yeah. make it a season or two. Uh, flesh it out. Make it dark. Make it rated R. I think that's the way to go. Yep. So that would be the next animated Batman thing I'd like to see. In terms of other superheroes, though, like I was just thinking, like, what other animated movie would I want to see from a superhero? Like, I can't. I honestly don't know. It feels like Batman is made for it yep. for some reason. And I mean, they've they've made good good headway with Spider-Man. So I don't know what else to do. Maybe Ghost Rider. I, I would lo- <laughs> I would just love to see Ghost Rider come back in some way. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, we will have to wait and see for sure. And of course, 100% recommend that you watch this, pick it up somehow. Uh, it's such a fantastic film. And Neil, somehow it's not in my 1001 movies you must uh, watch before you die. So I went about <laughs> and actually uh, got uh, a chatbot to create its own review uh, oh. for Batman Mask of the Phantasm as if it were in 1001, video, uh, 1001 movies you must uh, see before you die. So I'm going to read this out, Neil. Okay, sounds good. Uh, hit us with that chatbot review. Hopefully it doesn't try and take over the world. Yeah, not like Victor this time, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Batman Mask of the Phantasm. 
Widely regarded as one of the best Batman movies ever made, the movie features a strong story that delves into the psychology of Batman and his alter ego, Bruce Wayne. It explores the emotional struggles that Bruce faces as he tries to balance his responsibilities as a crime fighter and his personal life. The animation in the film is superb. It features a unique style of animation that blends traditional hand-drawn animation with computer-generated imagery, creating a visually stunning image. And lastly, the movie's villains, the Joker and the Phantasm, are compelling and well-written characters. The Phantasm in particular is an interesting addition to the Batman mythos and adds a layer of mystery and intrigue to the story. Overall, Mask of the Phantasm is a well-crafted movie that appeals not only to fans of Batman, but also to fans of animated films and action movies. Its strong story, great animation, and compelling characters, and memorable score make it a classic film that continues to be enjoyed by audiences today. Well, that chapbot did a fantastic job. They did better at reviewing it than the New York Times did. That's not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good sign. That's uh, That means that Skynet's going to be here real soon, Neil, because that was a perfect review. I would 10 out of 10 agree with everything that uh, Victor Chat 1.0 said. I'm glad to see that AI is uh, understanding the uh, nuances of uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. But, Mike, while I'm sitting here patiently waiting for my computer to kill me, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on Episode 7 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast? On episode seven, Neil, we're going back into albums. Our second album of this series is going to be Linkin Park's Meteora, which is having its 20th anniversary uh, right now. And of course, the 20th anniversary edition coming out very soon, too. We're really excited to talk about this. Always excited to talk about some albums, some different things on this podcast. And uh, we're going to have a great time, Neil. That's going to be a ton of fun. I love Link- I love that album. I love Linkin Park to this day. It's scary to think that that is turning 20. I still listen to the album all the time. Perfect gym music, perfect music for when you're feeling angry or sad. I'm sure a lot of people out there can uh, can agree with me there, especially if you're a child of the late 90s, early 2000s. So it's going to be a ton of fun talking about that album with you, Mike. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode six of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. And if you're a Spotify listener, please keep writing in with the Q&A feature. We love reading those comments and we will read them all on our first episode in May. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. Supporters at the $5 level get the option to submit and vote on the topic for our monthly Patreon elected episode. You can follow us on Instagram and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Commissioner Gordon, Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. The Unlocking What Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada, and hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Additional voices provided by Victor Young. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I rebel. Dean Donian, Joey Sirico, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito Benito, AJ Olson 11, Pedro Marquez, Cube Dude, Bogus Lotus, Jude, and Way Overrated. Bye-bye. He doesn't do a, like a Batman voice, you know? He doesn't do his, his growl. No, not really. I mean, so Kevin Conroy is so perfect that when he's Batman, he he has he just talks with a little bit of authority, and then when he's Bruce Wayne, he kind of talks as if he's humble. Yeah. He doesn't make a voice; he just makes different personalities, which is why he's the perfect voice for Batman. I mean, can't say it enough. But I, I, R.I.P. Uh, R.I.P. Kevin Conroy. I, I can't imagine the voice actor who has to fill his shoes. Where are the other drugs <laughs> going? Where were the other drugs going? Well, were the other drugs going? (laughs) Christopher Walken. (laughs)